These are the words of Jesus. Okay, I know they're not in red up here, but they're the words of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Father, we come before you and we pray. And we thank you for your word, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's power to change us and to transform us. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that you would help us to understand what Jesus is saying, just as Jesus said, that's the reason why that, he was, that, that you were being sent. That we would be helped in our understanding So please help us this morning, Spirit of God. Soften our hearts if they're hard. Show your kindness to us and lead us to repentance and encourage and comfort us if we're downcast. We pray this in our heavenly Savior's name. Amen. So we've been going through, thank you, Samuel. Uh, We've been going through this series titled The Gospel A Through Z. And what we've been looking at is that most of the time, what we think of the gospel is just this proclamation of of the good news, which it is that. But there's a little bit more to that. And what we've looked at is, we've looked at five key words. God, man, redemption, renewal, and glory. Those have been the five words that we've been kind of looking at. And this week... And last week, we've looked at the renewal aspect of the gospel. Last week, we we saw that, that the gospel doesn't stop at justification. The gospel actually continues into sanctification as it's changing us from one degree of glory to the next. Now, we look at the mission of the gospel. The, the gospel, when it pierces our hearts, when the Spirit comes into us and where we come face to face with the glory of Jesus, we live a life on mission. You know, one of my favorite pastors puts it like this. Um, he says, you're either a missionary or an imposter. There's only two ways to go about it when you come face to face with the glory of God. You either live a a life looking for avenues and ways to the best of your ability in the circumstance that you're in, displaying the gospel through your words and deeds, or you don't. And so we see Jesus' great commission to his disciples, go, therefore, and baptize the nations in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I'll be with you to the end of the age. So we are called to be a people who share this good news, who share this gospel. And this comes natural for us as human beings. Doesn't it? I'm being a little facetious and sarcastic. But on the other hand, I'm not because we do share the things that we're passionate about. 
<laughs> Let me tell you this story. I was in a group, I was, I was uh, around a group of guys recently. I didn't know who they were, but the ringleader spoke up before the conversation started, and he said, there are two things that we don't talk about. We don't talk about politics, and we don't talk about religion. And then he went on to say, but we do talk about the Green Bay Packers. And what I couldn't help but think to myself is, Boy, you really don't know that the Packers are the greatest religion in Wisconsin, don't you? They meet on Sundays in person if they can. If they can't, then they stay home and they watch from their screens. And look, if I tell you that I'm a Bears fan, you're going to start evangelizing to me and telling me all of the ways that the Packers are the superior team to root for. This is just naturally hardwired into us to share to people what we treasure. Right? I mean, you get those shoes that you love and are comfortable, and you what? You get another pair of those shoes, and you start telling everybody why those shoes are the best shoes that you could possibly get. You go to a restaurant that you have for the first time, and you eat this delicious meal and what do you do you then go and you start sharing with people why they need to get to that restaurant and eat that meal because it is delicious we naturally share things to people that we treasure i mean grandparents don't you do this with your grandkids parents don't you kind of do this with your kids depending on how they're acting <laughs> We share or evangelize constantly the things that we treasure. So this is the point that I want to try to make this morning. Is that Jesus is worth treasuring. He is. Do the people around you know that? Jesus is worth treasuring. Do the people around you know that? And we're going to see this in three points this morning. First, we're going to see the kingdom's value. Second, we're going to see how often the kingdom gets covered up. And third, we're going to see the kingdom's joy that it brings. So let's look at the kingdom's value as we look at the first part of this verse, we see Jesus telling this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Jesus, he's telling a parable here. He's, he's trying to, to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in chapter 13, specifically, Jesus is constantly trying to help his listeners Understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, you could look at verse 24, 31, 44, 45, 47, 52, and Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. So Jesus is, is trying to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like by using a, a story. A little bit confusing at times, but still trying to explain it for those who have ears to hear. And sometimes there are people who will say specifically about this parable, this parable is very unethical though. 
Jesus told a very unethical, dishonest parable. How could he possibly do that? See, Jesus is not who he says he is. This man was that he's telling this parable about, he's very unethical. He's sly. He's a snake. He finds this treasure. He doesn't tell the owner of the field about the treasure. He sells everything to have this treasure himself. Well, in Jewish custom, though, the first century was a little bit different than the 21st century. There were laws and regulations about if you found something, it was yours. That's how it went. So is Jesus telling a dishonest parable about a dishonest man? Well, no, because the man, he doesn't take any of the treasure to buy the field. How easy would it have been for him to keep all of his stuff, dig up the treasure, use the treasure to buy the field so that way he could say the treasure is his and that he didn't technically steal any of the treasure. So this man's not very dishonest. He's actually very honest. Because there is something within this treasure that is more valuable than anything he possibly owns. What Jesus is trying to communicate here about the kingdom of heaven is that the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's priceless. You can't put a value upon how expensive the kingdom of heaven is. It is like a treasure hidden in a field. Uh, one commentator that I I read said that it was it was like a one in 1,000 chances of finding somebody's treasure. Now, this might be strange to you. It might be strange to me in the 21st century. Why don't they just go to College Ave and put their treasure in the Chase Bank down there? It seems like the more appropriate thing to do. Well, they didn't have banks. And so it was common for people to take the most valuable things of their house or possessions, or whatever it may be, and to find a piece of land that they owned and to bury it or to hide it. So that way, if somebody just so happened to come and ransack them, their most valuable treasures were hidden away from them. They were safe. What Jesus, he's communicating is that the treasure that this man stumbles upon is vast. You can't put a value on it. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. You can't put a value on how expensive the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is a vast treasure. More value more valuable than anything we could ever possibly comprehend or think of. But far too often we don't think about the kingdom of heaven of like, like this, do we? So very quickly do we start to value or treasure the things that are in front of us just i mean it's so quickly isn't it we see that new phone come out and we think well because it's titanium and i'm prone to dropping things this is going to be the phone that i'm going to keep forever until they find until they come out with a platinum phone 
And then that's the one that we need to treasure. But Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven to a treasure that's been hidden in a field. What Jesus is saying is this. He's saying that he is the treasure. He was hidden. But now he's been made known. This has been his ministry, hasn't it been? Helping those understand what the kingdom of heaven is really like. Now, in the progression of Matthew and his life and ministry, this treasure hasn't been fully uncovered yet, as Jesus is very clear of saying, do not tell people about me because my time and hour has not come. But what Jesus is saying is that he is more valuable than anyone or anything you could possibly own or have. You know, as I, as I went for a walk this morning around our neighborhood, I couldn't help but praise God and thank God for the apostles and their writings. Because this is what Peter reveals to us. Is that Jesus is this imperishable treasure that we will receive. Where everything else will fade away, Jesus doesn't. And on the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus is communicating as he is, he's telling his listeners don't put your treasure or, or don't don't put your treasure here on heaven or, or here on earth. Why? Because here on earth your treasure it it rusts, it it rots, it fades away. Moths. I mean moths. How annoying are moths? They come and they eat up your clothes. The treasure that you have here on earth, it will disappear at one point. You cannot take it with you. I mean, how often do we hear that with people? We can't, you can't take it with you. There is this understanding inside of us that we can't take our treasures with us when we pass from this life. But what Jesus is trying to communicate over and over and over again, that he is this treasure hidden in a field, that he is worth far more than anything that there is in this life. And thus, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. It's more valuable than anything. It's more valuable than the most precious heirloom that you have from your great, 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 great grandparents. And yet, when we come face to face with this treasure, we respond not how this man responds. We respond most of the time by covering it up. Now we know how this parable ends because I read it for us and you can read it on the screen if you want to. But we see the kingdom's cover-up. The next part, or the next point, the, the kingdom's cover-up, we, we see which, which a man found and covered up. You know, 
which I never thought about this until uh, meditating on this passage this time. You know, somebody covered up this treasure at one point, and they forgot about it. Somewhere, someone buried this treasure, the, the most valuable things that they could possibly have in their lifetime. They buried it, they covered it up, and they forgot about it. And how often in our sin do we do this? We cover up the kingdom. We, we come face to face with the glory of Jesus, but in our superficial, in our superficialness, we then cover up the kingdom. We say, wow, that's a vast treasure. And we cover it up and then we just walk away. In fact, I would even argue, I mean, what Jesus, Jesus is constantly talking to the Pharisees about this. Making the kingdom of heaven way too hard and difficult for people to come into. Using their self-righteous by creating this standard that's impossible to get this treasure. Or, like the non-believer... And friend, if you're here this morning and you aren't a believer, thank you. But the non-believer covers it up and says there is no God. Look, this morning through my preaching, I am telling you that there is a treasure that you can have. And so on judgment day, there will be no excuse for you. God will say the treasure was presented before you. Why did you not sell everything to have this treasure? It's, it's before you this morning. I would ask you, take it. Take the treasure. But oftentimes we're confronted with people saying things like, well, this is a fairy tale. It's a hoax. Right? So let me, let, let me try illustrating it like this. We've got a, there's a piece of land across the street from us, right? There's a tree there. Let's just say randomly sometime you're like, I'm going to go for a walk. And you're like, you know what? I'll go for a walk on that piece of land right across the street from the church. And you're walking around and the big tree is right there. And you start to see something shimmering. And you look in the tree, you, you peel away. There's like this trap door, or this door. And behind it, there is just treasure upon treasure, gold coins and rubies and diamonds and gems and a hundred dollar bills and, I mean, stuff that you just can't imagine. Pearls, all of it. And you look at it and you say, hmm, I must just be imagining things here. It's just too good to be true. And you shut this imaginary door and you walk away. How often in our sin is this us? We look at the treasure, we see the treasure, and we cover the treasure back up. Because in our hearts, there's something far greater that we think that we treasure here in this lifetime. We, we think that our spouse is our treasure. And our spouse is more valuable than the kingdom of God. Or we look at 
our retirement and think to ourselves, our retirement is a far better treasure than the kingdom of heaven. Or we look at the possessions that we have and we say, these possessions are far too good to give up. Or we look at our comfort and we say, this would be far too uncomfortable to give up what I have for this treasure. In our sin, this is what we do. This is the great cover-up of the kingdom of heaven is that we walk away from this treasure telling ourselves, yes, that might be a great treasure, but there's far better treasures here on earth that I can actually experience right now. And so we walk away. And we leave the treasure. We actually see somebody in the scriptures do this. There was a a rich young ruler who came up to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And he says, Jesus says, Keep keep the law, keep the keep the commands. And he says, I've kept every single one of them perfectly. And Jesus says, then sell all you have, give up everything you have, because everything you have isn't worth the value that I am. So give it all up and follow me. And the rich young ruler, what does he do? He looks at his earthly treasure, his momentary treasure, and he looks at Jesus and he says, I think I'll stick with my earthly treasure. No, thank you. It's the greatest cover-up that our flesh, that Satan, that fallen angels lead us to do. It's to cover up the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is telling us in this parable is that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Why? Why? Because he's going to go and he's going to sell everything he has to purchase this land. This is the the next point that we see that the, the kingdom leads us to joy. I mean, how often, let's just be as, I ask you guys for this thing often, is just to be honest with ourselves. How often do we value treasures here on earth that just make us more crazy and anxious? And we're constantly putting stock into something that's going to fade. And maybe, just maybe, we're led to the anxiety of that or the depression of that because we know it's not going to last. And yet Jesus is saying, here I am. This imperishable treasure. It's right here for you. And this man in this parable, what does he do? He joyfully goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys the field. Imagine his neighbors. As the man is coming to his neighbors with all of his robes, saying, here, here, I will give you the best deal that I possibly can. Just take them. Imagine his neighbors as they're starting to see the the for sale sign in front of his yard. Uh, Imagine his neighbors as he's starting to sell off all of his livestock. The thing that brought him income year after year. And he's selling all of these things just so he can purchase this field. 
that has this treasure. This is the value of the field, is that this man, he's giving up everything. He's giving up this stable income. He's giving up his own shelter. He's giving up his clothes. He's giving up all that he, can, all that he has to purchase this field because this treasure is that valuable. This is the value of Jesus. Is that Jesus is worth giving up all that he has. Or Jesus is worth giving up all that we have to joyfully have him. Why? Because Jesus gave up all he had to joyfully save us. I think maybe one of my favorite passages in Scripture is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. But I think we more specifically see this Jesus joyfully giving up all that he has to purchase us, his, his treasure, in, in verses 5 through 11. So he doesn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he empties himself. By, becoming in, by, by being made in the image and likeness of man, being born in the flesh, by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you and I, that we, that we could have reconciliation, that we could have peace, that we could have hope, that we could have an imperishable treasure in heaven. So the reason why Jesus is telling this parable and saying this man, he joyfully goes and sells all that he has to buy this field, I mean, what we could really say is, is what this man is doing is, is he's, he's, he's giving up everything. He's, he's counting everything as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. This is what Paul says. All of the status that I had, all of the friends that I had, all, all the, I was climbing up the corporate ladder and I gave it all up. What, what he's saying is, is it's like cow poop. This is like dung. This is like all of this stuff that I, I have is is meaningless for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Why? Because Paul understands that Jesus joyfully gave up all that he had to save him from the wrath of God. Is this, friends, is this what you treasure? Is this what we as a church treasure? Do we treasure Jesus above all else? Do you see that Jesus is worth treasuring because he gave up all he had for you so that you could trust in him and receive his inheritance? Does this lead you to joyful worship of Jesus? If it doesn't, then you're probably treasuring something here on earth. And when I say joyfully, I don't mean it's always this happy-go-lucky emotion. I'm saying it's counting the cost. It's picking up your cross daily and following Jesus. Friends, if, if this isn't what you treasure, then maybe right now you're treasuring something like comfort. that you treasure your comfort rather than treasuring Jesus and so you're not doing the things that maybe make you a little bit uncomfortable. So you're trusting in the comfort you have rather than trusting in the omnipotent, all-knowing Savior. 
Maybe you're treasuring your approval. And so then when you're with your friends, you act a little bit more like your friends than walking in obedience like Jesus has called you to. Maybe you're treasuring in control over treasuring Jesus, and so you're trying to establish control over people and situations rather than trusting in what Jesus says, that he knows what tomorrow's going to bring, so you don't have to worry about it. Worry about right now. Boy, that's a breath of fresh air. I can just worry about right now. Jesus is worth treasuring. And right now, if there is a message that our world, that our city needs more than anything else, it's this, that Jesus is worth treasuring. So do the people around you know that? You know, I was recently just talking with a group of pastors. I'm in a group text uh, with them, and, and I, I asked them, what do you guys think the biggest social, social concern for this area is? And it was amazing. I should have, well, leave my phone in my office. I should have printed out or something to see how similar all of their respo responses were. Genuine friendships leading to mental illness leading to addiction in drugs or alcohol, leading into broken marriages, leading into homelessness. You see how that plays out? Our community needs to know that there is something worth treasuring that will not fade or perish but that is eternal and everlasting. So, as we conclude, I want to give us, uh, go ahead, Bill, this is your cue. I want to give us five different spheres. And, and hey, I'll just say, this, we, this is what we worked on last week at our Engage class. So, this, I'm not going to take credit for it. It was the people who were at the Engage class that came up with these five different spheres. These, in these five different spheres, do the people in these spheres know that you treasure Jesus. Do they? Do they know that you treasure Jesus? So let me just go through these five and, and be as practical as possible, and, and I'll try to use my own situations of just kind of different ways that we might be able to let people know that we treasure Jesus. Your family first. Does your family know that you treasure Jesus? Parents with kids, do your kids know that you treasure Jesus? So, I mean, some ways for Sharice and I, I mean, we pray for our sons all the time. We, we even pray for baby number three that's on the way right now. We pray for the salvation of our children in front of our children. We try to live out the gospel in front of our children. So we try to explain the gospel to our children. And then what we try to do is we try to walk in that truth of if this is what we are going to explain to our children, then, then we, we better do the job of living it out then. What about 
maybe grandparents or parents or siblings? Do they know that you treasure people or treasure Christ? All right, the next one, your neighbors. Do your neighbors know that you treasure Jesus? In your interactions with them, do they know that Jesus is worth treasuring? Do they know that you have hope? Or do they know that you're very passionate about politics? Or very passionate about gardening? Or very passionate about the Packers? Or very passionate about whatever sport your child is in or grandchild? So, uh, I mean, one of the things recently, and look, this is not me saying that you guys have to do this. Here, let me, let me, uh, it's going to be a little sidetrack here. At times, I'll have people come up to me and say, hey, Max, we should do this. And I'll be like, great, go and do it. Uh, because if the Spirit has put it on your heart, then it's probably a reason why the Spirit has put it on your heart. So this, the, God put it on our heart, uh, my heart, uh, to ask our life group, hey, could we do a harvest party at our house for our neighbors and then you can invite your friends as well. And so that's what we did yesterday. In the freezing cold, while it was raining out, there was like over 30 people. Most of our neighbors were there. And so we're just, we're just trying to cultivate a space where our neighbors know that we treasure Jesus and they can get in on it too. I know I've, I've talked with um, Eileen, I'm going to call you out. Eileen, she goes for prayer walks. Go for prayer walks up and down your neighborhood. Just pray for your neighbors. Pray for blessing over their house. Pray for their salvation. Pray for interaction. So the next is work. This is a little bit different for me um, uh, as although Brenda might say, well, she just comes in and preaches the gospel at me all the time. and just. But for you, do your coworkers know that you treasure Jesus? Do they see that? Do they understand what makes you tick? Do you lean into the gossip? Or do you walk away from it? Are you doing your work to the best of your ability to glorify God? All right, the, the fourth is play, and this is, this is hobbies. This is just hobbies. I know sometimes in the Midwest, we are just terrible at hobbies because we're not allowed to have hobbies or to do fun things. We just have to work. Um, so, for the, the, the two or three of you that do hobbies with other people, do the people that you do hobbies with know that you treasure Christ? Do they know that he's worth treasuring? Now look, here, I, I want to be very practical here. A couple of weeks ago, I went with a friend to play tennis. And afterwards, I just simply asked him, how can I pray for you? And guess what? Afterwards, I went and prayed for him. And the next time we get together to play tennis, I'm going to say, hey, I prayed for you. How are you doing? So this is a very easy inroad. If people don't want to be prayed for, they'll let you know. 
But that shouldn't stop us. All right, last, divine appointments. These are situations that we might have at the bank or uh, I don't know if anybody goes into the gas station anymore to pay, but maybe you do, Sam and Vicky do. Um, I'm just getting so much more comfortable with calling you guys out. I love it. (laughs) For me, what I do is I will go to the why. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And when I'm sitting down with a group of guys, I will wait, and if somebody makes eye contact with me, it's game on. (laughs) And so, for example, this past week, Uh, there was a guy, he had a couple of tattoos, and so I asked him, tell me about your tattoos. Well, I won't get into details, but these are what the tattoos are about. And he just started kind of going down this trail, this line of thought, where then I was able to ask him a very easy question. Well, what brings you hope when you're going through that? In the midst of divine appointments, there are a few things that you can ask people. And there's one overarching theme to all of them. Ask them about themselves. People love talking about themselves. We do. So ask them about themselves. Ask about their family. Ask about what motivates them. Ask them about their relationships. Ask them and really listen to them. Ask follow-up questions. And then maybe throw in there, well, I mean, wow, it seems like you're really passionate about that thing or this thing. What do you think about religion? Despite what the person said in my earlier uh, intro, in my intro, we don't want to talk about politics or religion. It's amazing how quick people will talk about religion and politics. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because the Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need to say. Jesus is worth treasuring. Do the people around you know that? He is. He'll be the best treasure that you've ever had. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for making this treasure available to us. We thank you that you have called us. (laughs) You've called us messy sinners that get this wrong far too often than right to then bring this treasure that we have to others who need this treasure. And so I ask, uh, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. So right now I ask that as we are continuing to gather, as we do gather, as we leave here, that you are sending out laborers into the fields to gather the harvest. So that way, more and more people would worship you because of the treasure that they have in your son Jesus. 
Please, God, we know that you're doing something and we can't wait to see what it is. Amen.